Okay, so I want to just tell you about an incident that happened back in March uh, 2013. Um, in March 2013, there was a, a man called Andrew Mason. Some of you will have heard of Andrew Mason. He was the founder of Groupon. Now, Groupon is a huge company, runs a website uh, where you can get all sorts of deals uh, and discount vouchers for all sorts of local restaurants and for travel, for leisure activities. There's all sorts of deals that you can have uh, uh, on that. And, and Andrew Mason was the brainchild for Groupon. But uh, back in March uh, 2013, he wrote this tweet where he said, after four and a half intense and wonderful years as CEO of Groupon, I've decided to spend more time with the family. Just kidding. I was fired. Okay. Uh, he was the founder, but after amazing success, he had a, f- a few years as he, where he ran the company. It all started in, in uh, 2008. Uh, he started the company. Uh, after two years, they were raking in over $800 million. Uh, after that sort of success, they got a, an offer from Google to buy the company for $6 billion, which they turned down uh, to keep going themselves. But then it all started to unravel. It all started to go wrong. Uh, they started to, to, to not be as successful. And then after a while of not being successful, they actually started to get into significant debt uh, and had major trouble. Uh, and the, the board uh, of the company, the investors, decided that what would be best would be to fire their founder. To fire their founder. <coughs> And it turns out that's actually quite common in big tech industry. Uh, Just reading this week about uh, Noah Glass, Jerry Yang. Uh, Noah Glass is the guy who started Twitter. Uh, Jerry Yang is the guy who started Yahoo. Uh, Martin Eberhardt, the guy who started Tesla. All founders, all fired. Fired from their own company. Um, And what we have actually in the book of Colossians is a group of Christians, Paul, the apostle, uh, famous teacher, writer of the New Testament, follower of Jesus, promoter of Christianity, planter of churches. He, He writes this letter to these Christians who are in danger of potentially firing their founder. Firing their founder. And it's not the founder of some tech company, but actually the founder of the universe, the one who started it all, and the founder of their church, You see, what happens in each of those cases where a founder is fired, those involved lose confidence in the leader that he's the one to lead them on and to lead them to success. Uh, And these uh, Christians uh, are beginning to lose confidence in Jesus. A little bit of background. Uh, This is a church uh, made up of Christians who Paul has never met. Uh, a little community that he wasn't involved in starting. Uh, it was started by a colleague of Paul's, a guy called Epaphras. And Epaphras has clearly visited Paul in prison, told him about the church, told them that on the, on the whole, they're doing really well. It's great. Uh, but these false teachers now have infiltrated the church and are beginning to unsettle them, uh, beginning to make them lose confidence in their founder, uh, the Lord Jesus. They're saying the sort of things like this. They're saying, are you really satisfied with your Christian life? Don't you feel something's missing? 
Don't you feel God maybe has more for you? Oh, you're, oh, you're still struggling with sin? Wouldn't you like to be completely free of that and master sin? Wouldn't you like to have a deeper, richer, more intimate experience of God? Well, look, trust Jesus. That's great. That's a brilliant start. Well done, you. But if you really want those things, maturity and blessing, then listen to us. Just follow our easy 12-step plan. Uh, Just uh, deny yourself those things. Come, let us show you how to uh, have the spiritual experience. Just listen to us, and then you can have maturity, greater blessing, happiness, contentment. They can all be yours. Uh, And now Paul writes uh, to this church, uh, and he admits, admits effectively that this is very appealing. And this is a very appealing sort of uh, teaching. It would be appealing to us today, I think. Uh, I don't think there's any one of us here who wouldn't want to be more godly. I don't think there's any of us here who wouldn't want to be, um, have a richer experience of God, have a, a, more, um, a, more, a richer prayer life. Wouldn't we all want something more? None of us here, I would hazard a guess, are completely satisfied in every way with our spiritual lives. So that sort of teaching is always going to be popular. But Paul wants to say that sort of teaching is dangerous and untrue. Uh, let me show you how, he, how Paul's verdict. Look at Paul's verdict there in chapter 2, verse 8. This is Paul's verdict. See that to it, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. Paul is saying, don't be taken in by bogus teaching. Don't, be, don't let those guys rob you of the freedom and the joy that could be yours uh, in Christ. Uh, don't let, or, or when you get down to verse 18, uh, you see that it's, there's even more at stake. If they continue to listen to these guys and follow these false teachers, they could actually, at worst, end up being disqualified. I take that as disqualified from the church, the community of God's people. And so Paul writes then to warn them and alert them uh, to the danger. Their their focus is on what the church is lacking rather than what they already have. Paul wants to do precisely the opposite. He wants in this letter to focus on what you've already got and to go deeper into that. And in many ways, verse 6 and 7 of our chapter this morning, chapter 2 of this letter to the church in Colossae, is a brilliant summary of the whole chapter. And actually, if you, you like this sort of thing, it's a brilliant summary for the whole book. This is what the book of Colossians is all about. Verse 6 and 7, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul is effectively saying, stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. You don't need more than Jesus. You need more of Jesus. You don't need more than Jesus. You just need more of Jesus. Um, 
Paul is effectively saying, you know, we, we hear sometimes, start as you mean to go on. Well, Paul is saying, go on as you started. Go on as you started. How did you start the Christian life? Well, we follow the ABCs of the, the gospel. A, we admitted our guilt. We admitted that we'd made a mess of our lives. We had lived as if God wasn't there and doesn't matter, and we'd used and abused other people along the way. We're all guilty, and we admit that to God. A. B, we believe. We believe Jesus is who he claims to be, the the God-man, the Son of God, who has come in the flesh and who did everything necessary on the cross for us to be forgiven, part of God's family, and have a fantastic future in the new kingdom. A, B, C. Committed our lives to Jesus, living for his glory, living for his pleasure, uh, and not just our own. Paul is saying, that's how you started. Keep doing that. Every day, keep admitting your failure, believing in the, in the gospel, in what he's done for you on the cross, and recommit your life to him. Keep going as you started. And Paul uses then uh, in these verses, uh, he uses the image of being rooted, being rooted. It's a beautiful metaphor, actually. Uh, roots are the foundation of the tree. If the tree is cut off from the root, it'll fall over and die. But a root, uh, the foundation of a tree, is not just the same as the foundation of a building. It's not like concrete, static. It's not static. Roots, as the, a tree matures, the roots go deeper bringing up new goodness and life from, from the soil in which they're planted. And that's what we're to be like. We're not to move away from our foundation. That would, that would lead to death and disaster. No, no, but you're to go deeper in what you've already got. And so in this little section, there's, it's, there's some pretty complicated phrases and words here we're going to have to wrestle through in, in the next minute or two. But the big picture is, number one, stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. In him you have everything. Stick with Jesus. In him you have everything. And then number two, steer clear of any human add-ons because they're good for nothing. So stick with Jesus. In him you've got everything. Steer clear of human add-ons. They're good for nothing. Okay, that's really what this chapter is about. So let's dive in uh, and let's see what Paul has to say. Let's look at verses 9 through to 15. And as Andy uh, read for us a few minutes ago, and uh, he read those verses 9 through to 15, uh, there is two phrases that are repeated over and over and over again. I wonder if you spotted them. Uh, this idea of being in him or with him. Uh, So verse 10, you have been given fullness in him. Verse 11, in him you were circumcised. We'll come to that in a minute. Uh, Verse 12, you were buried with him, made alive with him, in him, with him, in him, with him. A, A key idea, a fundamental concept in Christian thought is the idea that when you become a Christian, and put your trust in Jesus, you are united to him. You are united to him. His experience, you get to share in it. It becomes your experience. 
in, in one sense, in one sense, it's a little bit like this, uh, like a pregnant woman, where mum goes, baby goes. What mum does, baby does. They're connected. They're united together. And so if mum goes on a plane, baby goes on a plane. If mum goes shopping, baby goes shopping. If mum goes for dinner, baby goes for dinner. You get the idea. Uh, Now, of course, that illustration breaks down. Of course, yes, yes. But it is helpful in, in stressing the idea that we are united to Christ. We are in him. We are with him. What is true for him becomes true for us when we put our trust in him. And that's the, that's the core idea that Paul then unpacks in the rest of this section. Because we are in him, number one then, verses 9 to 12, in Jesus we have fullness. We have fullness. And, and this idea of union with Christ is, is spoken about all through the New Testament. Lots of different images and pictures are used to express the idea. And so you have the idea that, that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Um, like a body, Jesus is the head and we are the body. Um, or uh, the idea of a husband and a wife who are united together legally, relationally. We are united to Christ. And that, that idea of being united expresses the idea of intimacy and a complete sharing of everything. So look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 where Paul talks about Jesus. How much of God does Jesus have, verse 9? For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He's fully God in the flesh. He has all of God. He is 100% God and 100% man. And as we talk to our children sometimes, he's the only 200% person who ever lived. Um, But for the Christian then, How much of God do we have access to? Verse 10. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. We have all access to all of God if we are united to Christ by faith. Let's maybe give you, again, it's just an an analogy, an example. Imagine a a husband and a wife who are married. Uh, They're very much in love. Uh, they're organizing their, their home and their lives together and they set up a joint bank account and that is the only bank account they've got, their joint account. Uh, I'm not saying that's the only way you should do it, but that's the way they do it. Um, tragically, his parents die and in the inheritance, they leave him 10 million pounds, which he puts in his bank account. How much of that does his wife have access to? All of it. All of it. You get the idea? He is incredibly wealthy, but because she is connected to him, she has access to everything. And that's the logic that Paul has here. Jesus is infinitely glorious, infinitely wealthy. All of Godness dwells in Jesus. And because we are connected to him, we, have, we can fully know God And we can fully please God because of Jesus. We have got access to everything uh, because of him. In that sense, we have fullness. Fullness. You can fully know God, fully please God. There's no experience of God that you cannot have and do not have 
Um, there is nothing of God that you are missing out on. That is Paul's logic here. And then Paul develops uh, this idea then in verses uh, 13 uh, on, where he talks about this idea of circumcision. And reading between the lines, it seems that these false teachers, part of what they were saying is they were um, twisting some of the, the Old Testament. Uh, they were saying effectively that these Gentile Christians needed to become Jewish in some way to be fully accepted, to be of the, the, the top-rank Christian. Yeah, you could be a sort of second-class Christian if you trust in Jesus, but if you do all these other things, these Jewish practices and rituals and rules, uh, self-denial and experiences, then you'll be fully uh, a Christian. Uh, And one of the things they seem to have been saying is that these Christian men uh, needed to be circumcised. They needed needed to be cut off, their foreskins cut off. Uh, Today we kind of wince at that if you're a man here. Um, Why would they be saying that? Why would they be saying that? Well, they're saying, look, why are you cutting yourself off from the wonderful heritage of the saints of old? You start doing what they do. You'll have a closer experience with God like we do. Start obeying those extra rules. Start doing those extra rituals. How does Paul, what does Paul say? Well, in verse 11, Paul says, you don't need to be doing that. In him you were also circumcised. You have been circumcised. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a Jewish ritual. A little operation that marked that marked the Jewish man out as belonging to the people of God. It was a marker of belonging. And so Paul is saying, you've already been marked out. Not by the hands of men, not that you've had a physical operation, but you've been marked out spiritually. You've been given the Holy Spirit and forgiven and welcomed into God's family by faith. How is this possible? How is this possible? Well, it's possible... Now, here we've got to do a little bit of work. Please look at the version I have put on the screen rather than the NIV. I I don't think the NIV gets this quite right. Paul literally says, by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And look, you're just going to have to trust me. There's pages and pages in in the commentaries that go into all sorts of details of how to translate this. I think, I think what Paul is saying, because back in chapter 1, verse 22, he used that phrase before, the body of flesh, back in chapter 1, verse 22, to talk about the body of Jesus, Jesus' physical body. And then he talks about the circumcision of Christ. And in the New Testament, Christ, in effect, was circumcised in two ways. He was circumcised as a little baby on the eighth day. Chapter Luke, or in Luke chapter 1 and 2, we read about that. Uh, but also, in one sense, it wasn't just a bit of Jesus' body that was cut off. His whole body was cut off at the cross. He was cut off before God in death and shame. And I think what Paul is simply saying is that we can be circumcised. We can belong to the people of God because Jesus was cut off at the cross. It's a strange way to put it, but I think Paul is is phrasing it this way to tackle 
the false teaching that's going on in that church. You need nothing more than what Jesus has already done for you at the cross. Paul then expands on this idea in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Because we are united with Christ the moment you become a Christian. Uh, Before you're a Christian, those events 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross are of no benefit to you. If you haven't trusted Jesus yet, that's just historical trivia. There's a guy who formerly was a carpenter who died on a cross um, in Palestine. Uh, those things are of no be- that The fact that he died on a cross is no benefit to you if you do not believe, you do not trust him. Uh, it's a bit like cashing a check. If you've got the piece of paper, it's, no, it's only a piece of paper. It's still worthless to you unless you go to the bank and you lodge it or you cash it. Having the piece of paper in itself is no benefit to you. In the same way, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. If you do not put your trust in him, that is of no benefit to you. But when you do, but when you do, you are united to him. His experience becomes your experience. We all deserve the death sentence for rejecting God's rule in our lives, disobeying him, and using and abusing other people that, who are made in the image of God. We deserve the death sentence. But in Christ, that death sentence has already happened, hasn't it? His death becomes our death. We get to share in it. And his resurrection becomes our resurrection in a sense, in that we get to share in his new life. Paul is saying, because we are united to Christ, we have fullness We have everything we need. And that's symbolized in baptism. That's why he then goes on to talk about baptism. Uh, A few weeks ago, Taylor McComb was baptized in the tank here. She was put down into the, the place of the dead. And then she was raised up by a power not her own to new life. Symbolizing what has already happened to her. She died with Christ. He took her death sentence. She gets to share in the benefit of that. And has now been raised to new life. And she gets to share in the benefit of that too. We ha- in Christ, in Jesus, we have fullness. Verses 9 through to 12. Paul goes on. In Jesus, we have forgiveness. In Jesus, we have forgiveness. Verses 13 through to 14. He expands on this idea. You were dead in your sins. In the... And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, but God made you alive with Christ, he forgave all your sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Paul uses the little word written code there in our English version of the Bible. Uh, that's a technical word that Paul has taken from business. Uh, and it literally is a, what he's talking about is a certificate of debt. Or maybe today you might still write an IOU. It's an IOU. Jesus took our IOU to God, our debt, and took it to the cross and dealt with it. 
You see, the language of, of debt uh, is used in the New Testament to express what we owe God, what we owe God. Uh, debt's a very familiar idea. If you're recently a student, you should be familiar with the concept of debt, I suspect. Many of us are. Uh, we, we think about debt uh, and debt getting out of control. And so we hear about the, the, the size of the debt that countries have to other countries. It's astronomical figures. Uh, or we all know that debt can get out of control personally as well as people uh, struggle to repay credit card bills and uh, use one card to pay off another card and it all just gets out of control. But as with all debt, as with all debt, if you fail to pay it, if you fail to pay it, there's a penalty. If you fail to pay your credit card bill, there'll be a penalty. You fail to pay your mortgage, there'll be a penalty. So it is with God. We owe him. He's our creator and our king. We owe him our gratitude. We owe him our obedience. We owe him our love and loyalty. But we all fail to pay. We all fail to pay that. And as a result, then, we uh, have incurred a massive debt. And it is a death sentence. That's the penalty. And the wonder and the good news of Christianity is that Jesus has taken that penalty, taken our debt, and dealt with it at the cross. Taken it away. And notice the little word, all. There's a little word, all. It has all been taken away. Um, There is no sin that is too dark. Um, there There is nothing that's too horrific that we could have done that's impossible for Jesus to deal with when we come to him in faith and trust. It's a beautiful idea, isn't it? All of it can be dealt with. In Jesus, what have you got? If you're a Christian in Jesus, what have you already got? You've got fullness. You can fully know God, fully please God. Right now. Don't need anything else. Uh, you've got full forgiveness in Jesus. And then lastly, in this little section, you've got freedom. Freedom uh, from anything that can enslave or terrify you. Verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In the ancient world, uh, particularly those who were from a pagan background, lived in fear in fear of the wrath of the gods, in in fear of evil's forces, in fear of curses and magic. Uh, But Paul is saying when you come to Jesus, you can be set free from everything that terrifies you and everything that enslaves you. Now, in the 21st century, we're not obsessed with uh, spirituality very often like that. Um, But I think there's plenty of things that, that scare and terrify us death, fear of what other people think, addiction, anything that terrifies you, anything that could enslave you, you can be set free from that by coming to Jesus. Do you see Paul's argument? If you're united to Christ, you've got everything. You've got everything, fullness, forgiveness, and freedom. And so Paul then follows up in the, in the second part of this little, um, this little section, which we'll race through quickly, uh, is to say, well, he, follow, he follows it up with the negative. If in Christ you have everything, then steer clear of any human add-on because they're good for nothing. They're good for nothing. Um, Paul really then says... Um, 
first. Don't be judged by the religious. Don't be judged by the religious. These false teachers were coming in with all their Jewish religious rituals and rules, all their, you can eat this and don't eat that, and touch this, but don't touch that. Uh, They were bringing in all their rules, uh, telling them that if they wanted to be sure and confident uh, of their status before God and have a close relationship with God, they needed to follow all their practices and ways. Paul said, don't be, don't be taken in. Don't be taken in by that. A little bit like, I've used this illustration before, but I couldn't think of anything better this morning. Imagine, uh, again, another, uh, another couple, a uh, husband uh, and uh, his new wife, and he's got to travel with work. Uh, but when he travels, uh, he, he's got plenty of things on his phone, but he keeps a special picture in his wallet of him and his wife. He looks at it, you know, when he gets into bed at night, he takes a wee look and maybe even gives it a wee, a wee cheeky kiss and, and puts it away. But imagine then he comes home after his business trip and uh, he just books a lovely restaurant. Would he take the picture or the wife to dinner? Put up the wee picture, prop it up against the salt. Do you fancy the fish deer? You know, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The, the, the picture is obsolete when you've got the real thing. The picture's obsolete when you've got the real thing. That's Paul's argument here. Don't be going back to all those Old Testament shadows and pictures. Uh, Andrew was talking about it this morning uh, with the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies. Don't be going, you don't need to go back to all that. Jesus has come. We have full access to God. Those were just signposts to the reality that was to come. And you've got him. You don't need to go back to all that. But again, the danger is, I think, if I'm being totally honest, the danger is we're sometimes tempted by religiosity, aren't we? We're sometimes tempted to think, actually, God will be happier with me today than yesterday because I did my devotions this morning or I shared the gospel with a friend today or I've earned some spiritual brownie points because I've spent some time and I've switched off the TV and I'm reading a Christian book instead do you see that sort of that sort of thinking is very subtle and very seductive. And the, da- the real danger is that we tend to turn good things, and those were all good things to do, but we tend to turn good things into necessary things and think by those things we earn God's favor. We earn God's blessing in our lives. We can make sure that things will go okay because I have done this, that, and the other. Paul is saying, don't don't think like that. You should have left that sort of thinking behind you. That's worldly thinking that you can earn God's favor. Stick with Jesus as he is revealed in the gospel. And in him, we can have true confidence of our right standing before God um, and our ultimate blessing. All may not go well now, but there is ultimate blessing in the future. Don't be judged by the religious Don't be feeling condemned and second class by them. And then lastly, very quickly, don't be uh, disqualified by the mystics or the super spiritual. Um, 
At first sight, this seems a really strange command that Paul gives. You know, don't be listening to them uh, as they are commending the worship of angels. What Christian, realistically, what Christian would ever be tempted to worship anyone other than God? Surely that's not going to be a very successful ploy. But actually, when you, we start to read some of the commentaries, what Paul and what they were saying and what Paul is arguing against here is not the worship of angels, uh, but it's this idea of worshiping in an angelic way, worshiping alongside angels, having greater joy and intimacy like the angels enjoy with God. And again, that's a very contemporary idea, isn't it? That's a very contemporary idea. Oh, you're struggling a bit spiritually? All oh, right, oh, God, sad. Yeah. Um, you should come to this conference. You should hear this speaker. He's profound and funny and so insightful. You should come to our church, the band. Oh, the band. It's amazing. You'll feel God's presence. It'll be amazing. It'll just, it'll just push you on in your spiritual life. Do you see? Very contemporary. We're always tempted like that. Find some secret special key that we can use to unlock the next level uh, of our spiritual lives. Paul is saying you don't need that. You don't need that. You have all you need in Christ Paul is saying, do you want fullness? Do you want to fully know and fully please God? Do you want to know forgiveness? Freedom from the guilt that seems to be the monkey on your back. Do you want to know that you are free? Free from all fear. And if you do, stick with Jesus, stick with, do not fire your founder. Stick with him. In him, you have everything. But of course, it doesn't mean that our faith is like concrete. It doesn't mean that our faith is like concrete. It is to go deeper. And how to do that, you'll have to come back next week to find out. So let me pray for us before I hand back to the band for maybe one last song. Um, Father, we want to thank you 